Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crown, here with the lovely Brie Tucker. Why, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? <laughs> Brie and I were just talking about our weekends. <laughs> and like <laughs> the hard, the hard weekends. It's always a hard weekend when you got a teen, especially it in my is. opinion. My daughter as a teen is a little bit more tricky than my son. It is. It's all about, there's a lot of emotions. I went into this thinking like, oh, we have a really great relationship. And we do. I have a great relationship with my daughter, but the mood swings are intense. And it's it's weird being a part of them because when you see like people, like friends who have teenagers, you're never really witness to the mood swings. They only pull that out for you in like personal situations. It's so intense. It feels so personal. I have broken down so many times because of how mean my teen has been to me. Well, I was telling you, so two things on that. I told you that I having a teen daughter has made me call my mom on several occasions and apologize for my behavior as a teen. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. I remember doing this to you and I'm so sorry. And half of the time, mm-hmm. my mom doesn't remember what I'm talking about, which I find kind of funny. And the other half of the time, she laughs at me and is like, it's okay. What did Audrey do this week? Because <laughs> she knows that there's always like a spawn for it. It's hard too, because it's when you have a teen and especially with us as parent and parenting coaches and educators, we know developmentally teens are going through a lot. It is their biggest brain change since they were toddlers. Yeah. Yep. And we know all this stuff logically. We know they're trying to control their emotions and they're reacting in like unhelpful ways. We know they're learning. And yet when you're on the other side of that behavior, you can't help but take it personally in the moment. Like it hurts you right there. Yeah. In the yeah. heart. And I think you were also pointing out too, like how you compare what you see other people doing, which our our main mode of that is social media. And you had a post, mm-hmm. um, you know, earlier in, I think it was like April about how you went on this. You guys did a, a jog together. You did a, a marathon. Yeah. And how you had this pretty picture on social media, but that there were things behind the the scenes. And it's, that's how it is with parenting, but especially it with is. parenting a teen. Like you think, you think you got it. They, they just go through these phases. You think you got it. They're really great for eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. And then they hit 11 and you hit this bump and you're like, whoa, I thought I had this down. It's normal. But it's normal. And you can't talk about that on social media like you can about potty training or toddler tantrums because you have a teenager who's seeing everything oh, yeah. that you post. Mm-hmm. And so unless you have a community of people who are very, very open with each other, like we hope we could be for you on this podcast. And that's also what we provide in our Balanced VIP group. You never know this is happening. And so you think you're failing as a parent, but you're not. Yeah but you're really right on par. (laughs) Yeah, you're right on par. You're right where it is. Well, and it's great that you brought that up about about balance because like in our balance program, like every month we focus on something different to help build skills for us as moms. And sometimes building skills is building awareness, realizing that you're not alone, but then also giving you tools to add to your toolbox on how to work through those challenges. And Mm -hmm. this month in May, we're finishing up our digital detox, which has been a blast. I have, I personally have learned so much from it because you're the mastermind behind these challenges. I, I, you're you, Joanne is the mastermind to create a lot of these, and I just kind of like help put the moving parts together. So uh, most people don't know this, but I'm learning things as we're going through it with our balance community, and it has been an amazing <laughs> month so far here. 
Well, I'm I'm like the epitome of a teacher because I just learned it the month before. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, you just have to be one chapter ahead of the textbook. That's all that matters. Else. And the same thing with parenting. You just have to be one chapter yeah. ahead. <laughs> and that, but that, I mean, okay, that, that's cutting myself a little short because, so to go on a little bit of a tangent, which I think is a really, really helpful tangent, is that we are taught as women not to tout our own experience and expertise. Oh, it's bragging and whatever. It's yeah. bragging. And we've seen women vilified for it. Hillary Clinton was vilified for it. So many other women, Taylor Mm -hmm. Swift is vilified for it. And there was this great opinion piece that I just read about Taylor Swift. And in her concert, there is, which I went to in Glendale, the like debut. And I saw this, I saw, I saw this transition she did. She gets up in front and she just opens the concert to like, tens of thousands of people. And she's like, wow, it's like, you've never seen a woman headline to this many people before. And then she like flexes a muscle. She is absolutely right. But everybody, when they hear her say that they're like, oh, that's a little cocky. And then you catch yourself and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. If a man said that, we would not think he's cocky. We'd be like, good for you, bud. Right. Good for you. Look at what you did. And so this opinion piece was this author saying, like, acknowledging that in herself and then saying that, come to find out, this author is very, very talented trail runner. And when people ask her how her races went, she's like, oh, I had fun on the trail. No, girl has set records on her trail runs and come in first, but she will not say that to anybody because she's afraid of touting her own accomplishments. Wow. So I bring that back. Yeah. (laughs) But what I said about balance when I'm like, I'm a chapter ahead of everybody else. I actually have a long line of expertise and have been doing this for many, 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 many years. And I do have a lot to bring to the situation and I do work hard on it. So I say that in the hopes that if you are also very accomplished, which every one of you are, that you start noticing. Giving yourself that credit. Giving yourself that credit. Yes. So with that being said, we are so excited for this this interview with Dr. Katie Davis because she fits perfectly mm-hmm. into our digital detox that we are dealing with this month. Yes. And it's all about making our screens not the boss of us because like screens aren't bad, but I mean, they have some addictive qualities that are purposely designed to be addictive because the app developers want you to stay on forever. And being aware of those, uh, especially when our kids are using screen time, is so helpful. And in this interview, you're going to hear about those things to watch out for in apps so that you can make more informed screen time decisions. So not that all screen time is bad. It's just you're going to be more informed after this interview because Dr. Katie Davis is an associate professor and director of the Digital Youth Lab at the University of Washington. She draws on her expertise in developmental science and design research, as well as her experiences as a parent and an educator to bring clarity to what we know about technology's role in child development. She has a wonderful book that I've read called Technology's Child, if you want to dig into this a little further after the interview. But we hope you enjoy our conversation with Dr. Katie Davis. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back, 
Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. So excited to have you here because I started reading Technology's Child, your book, and I have so many questions. You hit on things that I have seen as a coach, but I haven't known how to explain to parents about screen time. So I'm so excited to do all this thing about screen time and uh, let's get into it. The first... So great to hear. (laughs) Yeah, I... I, I, okay, I I have no really calm <laughs> and delicate, graceful segue into this. So well, because it's a kidding. it's a burning topic. Right into it. It's a burning topic a burning that topic. Is, there's always questions about, and we feel that your perspective on this is very very aligned with ours. So <laughs> great to okay. hear. Yeah. The thing that I saw running through your book is saying how that there's really no blanket screen time recommendations for everybody, that it just, it depends on the child and it's the child that needs to be considered. Can you talk a little bit more on that? Absolutely. So yes. and, And in many ways, I would say that the term screen time is not particularly helpful because it doesn't really capture the nuance of what's going on. Because just starting with the technologies themselves, there's a lot of different things you can do with any given screen, whether it's a mobile phone or a computer or a tablet. So in my book, I'm really talking about focusing in on, well, what is the different technology? But then, as you say, who's the child who's interacting with it and and what's their personality like? Where are they developmentally? What sort of context are they experiencing in their lives at home and at school and other other contexts? So really, we need to be looking at the technology and how it's been designed and the kinds of experiences that are possible and not possible with the technology. We need to look at the individual child and we need to look at the context. And that's both the immediate context, but then just the surrounding societal context and all the messages that are coming at families about technology. I've been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs even on busy mornings. And oh my gosh, has it been busy lately. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day every day. And it makes me feel energized. Even like I still add the coffee on there because I like it a lot. AG1 tastes really good too. And I enjoy my glass every single morning. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash NGM. That's drinkag1.com forward slash NGM. Check it out. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence 
whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So the technology, the child, and the context. Let's start with that technology component because we've all heard that apps do certain things to draw you in. And I've really loved how you broke it down in your book, specifically what to look for in young children's apps. Bree, this is going to blow your mind, by the way, what to look for in young children's <laughs> apps. So what should parents look for when their child, their preschooler or their young grade schooler is engaging with an app? Absolutely. So the term to think about here is dark patterns. And you're on the lookout for dark patterns in the design of whatever app it is that your child's engaged in. And really dark patterns, it sounds ominous, but all it is is just particular designs that developers have chosen to incorporate into their app in order to hold our attention and keep us engaged on the platform. And so in the context of children's tech use, dark patterns can be things like virtual characters in a game who cry if you exit out of them, virtual yeah. rewards. <laughs> I mean, yes. Yes, marvel yes. manipulation at its finest. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, countdown clocks, hidden ads, even just the way you navigate within an, in a platform. If it's difficult to find your way home, yeah. that's a dark pattern because it's hard to exit. So there are all sorts of tricks that developers use to keep us engaged and to keep our children engaged. And when you think about little kids and the, the kinds of skills that are really important for them to develop, one of them is the ability to regulate their emotions and their behavior. Mm -hmm. And the, that constellation of skills is called executive function skills. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to develop those kinds of skills in the context of technologies that have a lot, lot of these dark patterns. And so I'm, what I'm saying in the book is that beware of these dark patterns, but it's not the case that all technologies have dark patterns and not all to the same degree. Mm -hmm. And I would say that a little bit of a few games here and there that have these dark patterns in them is not going to be detrimental, but it can help you understand why it's so difficult for your child to put a game down or to exit out of an autoplay on YouTube or Netflix. 
And I think that understanding really helps a lot. And it takes off some of the burden of saying, oh, why is my kid so addicted? Well, mm. it's not necessarily that they're addicted. It's just that this has been designed to hold their attention. Yeah. And so it's absolutely understandable that they're having a hard time putting it down. Okay. Okay. It's I, like, I don't feel so bad now about how I can't stop binging on Netflix. It's making me feel a little bit better. Oh, there. yeah. No, it, <laughs> it's right? absolutely applies designed to adults in. as well. It's designed that way. Yeah. Here's the show you should watch next, yeah. particularly yes. picked out for you. But that's a good point, right? Because as an adult, if we're struggling with this, yeah, it's a no brainer that, of course, our child that doesn't have the same level of skills that we have in the so- same self-regulation Absolutely. and or willpower. I don't want to say willpower necessarily, but along those lines, they don't have that. How are they going to be able to maneuver through it? But I, I'm still I'm still reeling yeah. over the characters that cry when my kid cries. Just- <laughs> That's just wrong. When I read that, I thought of you, I know, I right? of you Brie. I'm like, what? You saw my face yeah. in your head before I even made it. <laughs> yeah. But you touch on something too, Katie, with a lot of things we hear from parents is that their kids become quote unquote monsters after they use the screen time. And I think being aware of these dark patterns, it's not so much that their kids just become monsters after this blanket use of screen time. It's this something in the app's design that is making it very, very hard for the child to put it down. And I think that is such a big aha. Yes. Yes. And usually that sort of monster behavior is coming from the fact that they've just experienced a a length of time where their attention has been guided for them. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy when you come off of that to feel a bit of dysregulation in your behavior. And that's sort of not knowing how to regain control of your own behavior. And it can take a little while. And so that's why, you know, in this case, the idea of screen time can be somewhat useful because if you're engaged in that kind of activity for a long period of time, it's just going to be that much harder to regain your own self-control and control over your attention. Yeah, definitely. In regards to attention, a lot of the things that parents look out for in apps are they're educational. And something that you mentioned is that when kids are engaging in apps, it should be like a self-directed learning experience. And that really, like you changed my definition of this because you were talking about your experience with your son in the app. And I can't, is it dynamic alphabet or? Oh, right. That was endless alphabet. Endless alphabet, which you were Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, this app is so cool. This will be like a great experience versus what happened when using a book. Can you tell that and what you saw in that? Yes. So I, like any other parent, I'm on the lookout for educational apps for my son. And especially I was writing this book when Oliver was little, three, four, and five. Took me a while to write it because of the pandemic. And he was engaged in a lot of different kinds of apps and a lot of literacy apps. And one of them is Endless Alphabet. And it really is, it's a very open-ended app. And that's one of the qualities that I urge parents to look for is, is this app open-ended and is it self-paced? Can your child actually direct what they're doing in the app or are they being directed by the design of the app? So that's what I mean by self-directed. And it's one of the key qualities of a developmentally supportive tech experience. And so on the face of it, Endless Alphabet absolutely checks all the boxes. However, you never know how a particular kid is going to end up playing with a particular app. And Oliver was totally fascinated by the animated noises that these letters make when you move them. So you're supposed to move these letters 
onto an outline of the letter in order to create a word. One of his favorite words was odor. I'm not sure exactly <laughs> why, but and that just stands out to me. Yeah. And scrumptious that he once said, my breakfast is scrumptious, mummy. Um, so that was good. Um, but you know, I think f- for the first little while of him playing, at least I would say several months, he was just totally fascinated and having so much fun with these little wobbly letters. And I'm not so sure how much he was actually getting out of it in terms of learning that those letters actually make a sound and those sounds combine together to form a word. However, he did start to get it after several months. And as I think when he was developmentally ready, more like age four, four and a half, when he was ready, the key though and I contrast in the book that experience to me reading with him just a board book, Richard Scarry's, I think Busy Town is the one I compared it to. So if we compare Oliver's experience with the Endless Alphabet app to, say, our experience together reading Richard Scarry's Busy Town, it's a very different experience. And it's not just because one is digital and one is analog. But when we're sitting down together and reading Richard Scarry's Busy Town, I can really make that experience a very personal one and tie what we're looking at on the page to aspects of Oliver's experience and his life and the things I know that he's interested in. And so that concept is called social contingency, where caregivers and really any adult in a child's life the reason why they are so good at supporting children's development is because they can make those personal connections. And that's something that an interactive app, although it is interactive, it doesn't really know who it's interacting with and it doesn't know the backstory of that child. And so that can be a little bit limiting. It's, it doesn't mean that kids aren't getting anything out of it because there's certainly educational dimensions to many apps. However, mm-hmm. beware that even though they say that they're very educational, there's virtually no peer-reviewed research supporting those educational claims. They so have nothing. Take it with they a, have nothing. No, they don't. So take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Another thing I found fascinating is it's going into this perception of what us parents find, what we see and we're like, oh my gosh, that is such a good experience versus what is actually supportive of the kid's development. And I think you did you such a good job explaining it when you talked about playgrounds and oh, you, yes. <laughs> how you thought the Berlin playground versus the U.S. playground and what really mattered. Can you tell us your story about that? Absolutely. So for the first year and a half of Oliver's life, we lived in Seattle. And then we moved for my sabbatical from the University of Washington to Berlin. And so we were there for four years and we had the opportunity to experience the amazingly gorgeous playgrounds that are just everywhere. And, you know, they have different themes. So the one that was right outside of our apartment building was had a big pirate ship and, and a big wooden pirate chest that kids could crawl into. There was oh, one. Cool. Oh, it was fun. amazing. There was one that was a giant dragon structure and it was painted green with a bright orange or red tongue. There was one that was even designed after a post office. You know, you could just find any sort of playground. But the key material that you're going to see at a Berlin playground is wood. And the mm-hmm. more hand chiseled, worn looking, the better. And that really contrasts with what you see in the typical North American playground, which is usually bright plastic contraptions that are pretty much standard, from what I can tell, across the U.S. Mm -hmm. And um, as parents, we, or just as humans, we look at and may compare these playgrounds and say, well, the the one in Berlin must be so much better. It's so much more beautiful. And that's what we as humans tend to do. We associate beauty with goodness. But what I'm arguing and using that example to do, although it has nothing to do with technology, is to really kind of interrogate what are the assumptions behind that? And actually, the aesthetics of a play experience don't have a lot to do with the actual quality of the play experience. And what we really need to do is look at how it's been designed. And so if you're climbing up and sliding down a slide that is this part of a beautiful wooden playground, and you're doing the same on a plastic playground, probably that experience is going to be pretty similar. What we really need to focus on is how that play experience has been designed. And so I use that example of the playgrounds to bring that into the technology space and say, you know what, we have a lot of preconceptions about technology. And Mm -hmm. in our society, technology often, although we are often so excited about the latest gadget, when it comes to kids, there's a lot of fear. And there's just this inherent assumption that screen time is a bad thing. And what I'm arguing is that, well, some screen time certainly is. And, you know, screen time that is full of dark patterns. Yes, beware of that. But you really have to dig a little bit deeper and look at the design and look at what does that allow the child to do? 
can they exert their own agency and they can they direct their own play experience? Because really the best kind of play and the best kind of learning, because there's a lot of learning that's going on in the play experience is one that's self-directed and open-ended. And so that's what you're really looking for when you are trying to judge any one app or any one digital experience. The apps that have you go along a certain path where you're earning prizes and when you're getting rewards, those aren't quite as good in a developmental sense as the apps that allow you to move things around. I immediately thought of this app that my uh, daughter loves called Play Home. And she actually, she's 14 and she downloads it to her phone because it's relaxing for her. And it's just made of a collection of what you term in the book, loose parts, Mm -hmm. where you can move things around, you can have them interact with each other. It's like creating an imaginary landscape for kids, which is so interesting seeing how that is more beneficial in a play sense. Yes, absolutely. So I use this idea of loose parts, which comes from a sculpture um, professor named Simon Nicholson. And he argued and later research has supported that loose parts is what you're really looking for when it comes to children's play, whether it's digital or analog. And if you think about just things that you might encounter outside, sticks or sand or pebbles, that stick could be a sword, it could be a horse that you ride, it could be part of a house that you build. There are so many things that loose parts can be depending on a child's imagination. And loose parts really encourage children to use their imagination. And so this is what ideally you're trying to look for when it comes to digital experiences you know, how, again, it comes to self-pacing and self-direction. Are there parts, digital parts in this experience that my child can actually manipulate and create something new? You know, a great example I think would be in Minecraft in creator mode where you can actually build worlds. You know, there are a lot of loose parts in VR. There's a great Oculus has a great painting app in VR where, you know, it's, you can paint and in 3d and it's just incredible what you can do. So there are loose parts to be found in digital form. I argue though, that sometimes they may be a little bit harder to find again, because Every digital experience has been very specifically programmed by the developer, and they make decisions about what's possible and what's not possible to do. And that can sometimes be a little bit limiting. Mm -hmm. It's funny because your description of loose parts reminded me of uh, this experience that Bree and I both had at a painting studio and having things being self-directed versus led. Our friend Jen we went to like a painting night and Bree's like, okay, yeah. I remember this. <laughs> I was like, what is she going to talk about with this one? <laughs> yeah. So we, we went to a painting night with a group of women and it was one of those things where the instructor's in the front of the room teaching us how to do this painting. And uh, Jen comes in and she brings her own big brush and she's like, you know what? Forget this instructor. I am painting my own canvas. <laughs> I love it. And I am not following yep. the steps whatsoever. And it just made me think of this idea of not having being directed in an activity, Mm -hmm. like the benefits of not being directed versus the creativity allowed. Yes. um, And, but you know what, that example is such a great one because some people actually, in order to get started, they do benefit from a little bit of guidance. And Mm -hmm. I've actually been to one of those painting nights. They're really fun. And I'm an abysmal artist. 
And I actually really appreciated See, having a little bit I'm of saying, guidance to know oh, where to start. Same here. I, I yeah. do not have that artistic, that, that just pull it out of anywhere creativity that our friend yeah. Jen mm-hmm. has. Yes. I just, I'm with you. Like, show me some direction. I like having mm-hmm. wiggle room within the direction, but yeah, yeah. sure. Give me a path. And, and then, <laughs> you know, it comes back to all children are individual. And so there really is no one size fits all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so some kids are going to need a little bit more structure. And also there's a whole kind of play called guided play where adults mm-hmm. and, and maybe older children are actually providing specific guidance. And that is very important for development. But what I'm saying is that you also want to leave space for the more self-directed experiences because mm-hmm. there's so much good development that's happening there where kids are developing their own resilience and even just emotion regulation. If they're playing with other kids, they're developing their moral sensibility. And it's just really an important piece of play that you want to keep front and center as a parent. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And you describe this concept of being a good enough digital parent. And I think that's so important (laughs) for people to hear. Can you describe that? Yes. Well, you know, I became a parent six years ago and as you, I'm sure, also have this experience, there's a lot of pressure associated with being a parent. And, you know, in today's landscape, they even have a name for it, intensive parenting. There's so Mm -hmm. many expectations on parents today to just provide their kids with every enriching activity possible, whether that's digital or analog, and just be on top of everything. And by the way, have a full career as well. Yeah. So it can be exhausting. And moms in particular, dads need to get off the hook a bit. Yeah. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. a little too often. Yes. (laughs) Especially during the pandemic. And so I think that with all that pressure comes a lot of guilt. And this absolutely, you can see in the digital realm, there's a lot of judgment among parents, but also just in the media messages we get around giving ourselves or giving our children too much screen time. That's considered a really Mm. bad thing. And there's a ton of judgment there. And so I introduced this concept of the good enough digital parent. And I'm actually referencing a concept that comes from the mid 20th century. It was a a well-known pediatrician called Donald Winnicott. And he wrote about this idea of the good enough mother. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we were back in the mid 20th century. I guess dads were only ever expected to be good enough. <laughs> yeah, um, they've always been expected just to be good enough. Right. <laughs> if they're yeah. not like dumpster, like they're they're not drunk on the couch, they're good. They're, they're good. Yeah. <laughs> they're, I keep hearing in my head, I have to throw this out there. I'm so sorry. There's this woman that I've seen on TikTok and on Instagram that has a song she wrote about all the things that the mom does. And the, and the main chorus line is like, and then the dad shows up and he's at the park with the wife and somebody walks up to dad and is like, wow, you're such a good, good dad. Job. Yeah. yeah. Oh Just because he's there. Spending time with the kids. Good job. Such a good dad. But mom, you didn't do Just 15 a- gazillion things. Yeah. No, that is so true. I can relate to that. Absolutely. When my son was little, my stepfather got that as the grandfather who was so involved. Just everyone was so impressed wow, good job. And my mother, as the grandmother, was like, well, what about me? I'm also involved. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I guess I was just expected. So this idea of the good enough mother, I update it to the good enough parent in this Mm -hmm. 21st century context. And then basically the idea associated with this is that Winnicott was arguing that if we're always there for our children to solve any problem that, that they have, or if they're having an interpersonal challenge to 
figure it out for them, or if they're bored to give them a next activity to get them unbored. If we're always there like that, there's no space for kids to develop their own resilience. And so it actually does a a disservice to our children if we are just 100% responsive 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. So I move that idea into the digital realm and, and I say, you know what, parents, we're not going to be perfect at this. As a researcher, I know that there is no research that shows this is the right way to do it and this is the wrong way to do it. We are tinkering and we're, we're testing things out, we're observing and we're adjusting as we go. And importantly, as long as we're making that effort and we're really paying attention to our kids and how they respond, that's kind of good enough. And that's actually pretty great. And you can learn a lot that way and be a really good parent, digitally speaking, in that sense. And then there's another really important piece of the good enough digital parent, because we often, I think, our guilt doesn't just come from the way we let our kids use technology, but often we feel guilty for our own technology use, especially Mm -hmm. around our kids. And so here, again, I want parents to give themselves a bit of a break because again, these devices have been designed explicitly, specifically to keep us engaged. So it's not some personal failing on our part, but actually us responding to the design and the purpose of these platforms and apps. And so- Yeah. So I want parents to give themselves a bit of a break, but also not just throw your hands up and say, well, I'm just going to let the floodgates open and use my technology whenever I want. But try and use, if you find yourself slipping up, use that as a teachable moment for little kids. I do that a lot with Oliver. If I find my eyes glancing over to my phone, I'll say, oh, you know what? I'm distracted. Let me put that away. And then we can focus on what we were doing. And then for older kids, you know, into the teen years, I think it can be a really great entryway into a connection that parents can make with their kids saying, you know what, if you're struggling, I'm also struggling. And maybe we can have a conversation around that, um, a non-judgmental conversation. And I think that can be really powerful as well. Yeah. It's funny. I have, we both have teenagers and I've gotten into these conversations with my daughter and sometimes it could be very, very hard to to start because she will be initially resistant to it. And it just helps to pose the questions. I'll be like, do you ever feel like you can't stop using that? And she'll be like, no. And then <laughs> later on, she'll mention something and I'm like, oh, got in. Okay, cool. <laughs> yes. And I think the key is to just wait, be patient and keep yeah. asking. And as much as possible to suspend judgment and just enter into those kinds of conversations with an open mind, with genuine curiosity. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for joining us. I highly recommend everybody get your book, The Technology's Child, which is digital media's role in the ages and stages of growing up. It is fascinating. And it's super helpful. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, if you are sweating it, it gives us the ability to have like a little bit of a lighter feeling of that guilt, plus how to actually work with it. Yeah. There isn't a lot out there that tells us what to do other than just you're ruining your kid by letting them have screens. Right. Absolutely. And I also have a, um, an accompanied newsletter, weekly newsletter, if your listeners are interested in with tips and ideas from the book, and you can sign up for that at katiedavisresearch.com. Very cool. Well, thank you for joining us and we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much.
Well, I, I, I learned so much from uh, Dr. Davis's book, as well as just talking with her about all these things that developers put into the apps. And like, I loved your expression too, Brie. I was waiting that whole oh. interview for you to have the reaction to the crying <laughs> child in the app. That is so mean, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yes. And you knew that that would get me because not, it just, my whole, my whole, my passion is early childhood. Those kids are learning about emotions. Their brain is developing constantly. And to think that some mean old app, app developers are taking that that empathy that they're building, that emotional stability mm-hmm. and it just manipulating using it in it. a manipulative mm-hmm. way. It's so mean. It is so it's like mean. Kicking a puppy. It's so mean. It's like kicking a puppy uh, in my mind. Yeah. It is uncalled for. It is. Definitely. It is uncalled for. But you know what? Shame, shame. I know your name, app developers. I know, right? But I, I loved what Dr. Katie brought forth because I'm calling her Dr. Katie. I hope it's okay, Dr. Dr. Katie, Dr. Davis. Dr. Katie is what I've nicknamed you in my head. But I love the fact that a big portion of her platform is that, listen, screen-free parenting is just not likely for most people. So quit beating Mm -hmm. yourself up over it and just learn what you need to learn. And side note, here I go. I'm climbing up on my horse, on my platform. (laughs) Here I go. Side note, don't judge other people when their kids are on screens. Oh, here I go. Go down off my soapbox. Okay. (laughs) I know. That's a hard one. I find myself every once in a while being a little bit judgy of somebody else for whatever the reason. It it might be parenting and it might be my neighbor, you know, double parking on, on the oh. street next to me, whatever. And I'll sit there and I'll be like, wait a minute. I don't know what's going on. And I try to run through other scenarios in my head. So that way I mm-hmm. can at least be thoughtful. The fact that I have probably been there there are, and what did I probably look at, look like to other people too, in the moment, trying to break that judgment I want to say like feeling like that, that judgment cycle. Oh yeah. Thing I that, do that it just, too. It's like a big dark cloud that just is all of I, us. If I go into a restaurant and I see kids on iPads, instead of talking at the table with their kids, immediately I will judge. But again, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if the parents had just had a really bad day and they just need a little bit of quiet at that table and enjoy a nice meal without their kids complaining that there's nothing on the menu for them to eat. I get that. I can, I can empathize with that. Or even, <laughs> right? Or even that this is like a big reward for their kid. Their kid did something yeah. amazing. And so the agreement was that they get to do X, Y, Z. Like we only get to see a glimpse of what's going on. So the best we can do is be supportive and just have faith that we are all trying to do our best. Oh yeah. And it's funny, the reasons people turn to devices too, because I brought this up with my daughter that I felt ignored when she went for her phone. And she she's so insightful. She said, I just needed the time to calm down and I didn't want to be mean. And I'm like, okay, so I see this. You're using it to regulate it so you don't say something that you have to apologize for later. Okay, I get it. I get it. You're like, in that case, okay. Because again, our kids are growing up in a in a different world than we did. Mm-hmm. And we yep, use technology a different way than they do. I was shocked when my son started high school two years ago. And the first week of school, he's like, mom, I need my cell phone at school. And I had, by the way, I hadn't taken it from him, but I had, but I did question him and why he was taking it to school. He's like, I need to, because we actually have to use it in class. Like our teachers, before we get our laptops, there are things that we have to log on to for the internet. And they, they know they don't have enough devices for everybody. So they're always like, Hey, if you got a phone, pull it out. If you don't, then I'll 
give you one of one of our three laptops we have or something. So again, yeah. I guess what I'm just trying to point out is that they have a different life, a whole different way of doing things than we do. That's true. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Dr. Katie Davis and go check out Technology's Child for some more really great action steps that you can take. Especially, we didn't even get into the discussion with teenagers and social media and she has that all in her book. So remember, the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you and we'll talk to you later. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.